This morning's scripture reading is Revelation 4, verses 6 through 8. Verses 6 through 8. Before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal, and in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second living creature like a calf, the third living creature had a face like a man, and the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within. And they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Again, we want to welcome our, our visitors and we, like Doug said, we want, to, we want you to feel welcome and we want to get to know you. So stick around uh, if it's possible uh, this morning so we can meet, meet you. The phrase as is, you think about that phrase and you might think, well, what's it associated with? You might think it's associated with, with selling something as is. And what does that mean? Well, if someone's selling something as is, it means that there, there most likely is something wrong with it. And it also means that they're not going to fix it if there is something wrong with it. But if we deem the price right, if it's a car and they're selling it as is, and we deem the price right, that the car is worth it as is, then we buy it. Now, sometimes... There's room to negotiate unless it says as is and then the word firm. There's no negotiating and no fixing up. But we take a chance that it is a good deal as is. I admire people who can, who can restore cars. One of my favorite cars to look at, and I don't know much about mechanics. I don't know the specs of this, of this car. It's a 1965 Mustang. My favorite car. I think it's my favorite car ever. And I, maybe I should learn more about it. But, but whatever the case, it's, it's my favorite car to look at. I've driven a few of them. And it's just amazing. Um, not, it's not a, necessarily a fast sports car. Uh, I'm not talking about a racing Mustang. I'm just talking about that 65 Mustang. I had a friend in high school, in junior high and high school, Steve Cannon. Um, I tell Chandler and the boys, I tell the boys about Steve Cannon all the time because I learned a lot from him and I'm trying to forget those things that I learned from him. Um, it's a kind of a struggle sometimes, but his dad, he was an engineer for Boeing up in Renton, Washington, and his dad's hobby was to buy broken down Mustangs and restore them to sell them. And he was amazing at it and he, he restored them to their original state. But he had two that he would not sell. One of them was a red 1966 Mustang, and the other one was a 1965 Mustang. And it was amazing. It was beautiful. He, he, he saw what looked like junk would look like junk to me. And I've thought about this before. What if I could, if I'm driving down the road and I see a broken down old Mustang that, that has parts coming off of it and it's for sale. Oh man, what I would do if I had that, I would get that and I would put it in the garage and man, two years later, I would have a junk pile in the garage because I wouldn't know what to do with it after that. So, But Steve Cannon's dad would, would restore these Mustangs to pristine condition. 
It seemed like junk to me. It looked like potential treasure to someone who knows what the as-is could be. What the as-is could be. We're going to talk about this idea of as-is for, for a little while this morning. This idea that, that God uses people as they are, as-is. He takes us as-is. He's used people as is. And we're going to talk for a little while about a few examples of God using people and accepting uh, people as is uh, and, not accept, and not accepting as they, as they were and keeping them. But we'll talk about that in a moment. But if you would, before, before we start this conversation, let's go ahead and turn to Joshua chapter 2. Joshua chapter 2. And I'll give you some time to get there. Joshua chapter 2. Right after Deuteronomy. And you read this first couple of verses, these first couple of verses in chapter 2. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, sent, sent uh, two men from the Acacia Grove to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and came to the house of a harlot, a harlot, named Rahab, and lodged there. So two Israelites, so, so the people of Israel, the children of Israel, they're in the process of, of getting ready to take the promised land. And, and, and things have happened on their way that people have heard about, and they're ready to go in and start, start getting this land. And so Joshua sends out these two spies. He wants them to go to Jericho, and that's where they go. And they get there, and they need a place to stay. And so the first place they find, or I don't know if it was the first, but they decided that they would stay with this harlot, this prostitute named Rahab. And so they stayed with her, and then the king found out, as you're reading this, um, in, in chapter 2, and it was told the king of, of Jericho, saying, Behold, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search the country. Three, so the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the country. And then Rahab says, Yeah, yeah, they were here. They, they came to me, and they were here, but they left. They took off. But if you take off, if you... If you if y'all leave right now, you can catch them. Most likely they've gone through the gate. And so if you can catch them. But meanwhile, the two spies are being hid, hid with, uh, they're hidden with, with, with Rahab. And while they're there, Rahab makes some statements that are just amazing. In, in 8, now before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof. And she said to the men this, I know in verse 9, I know that the Lord has given you the land. I know that. That the terror of you has fallen on us and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you, your people. 10, for we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites. And, and, and 11, when she says, when, when we heard this, our hearts melted. Our hearts just melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. Now listen to this statement she makes. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above. She hides them and she makes this statement. He is God in heaven above. 
So she's so she's hiding this men, these men, and and they are having this conversation. And he says, now she says, now promise me this. She believes Jericho is going to fall. She believes the land is going to become the Israelites. And she says, promise me this. When the time comes and the and Jericho falls, please remember me. Please save me and my household, me and my family, if you would. And my brothers and my sisters and 13. So the men answered her, our lives are yours. If none of you tell this business of ours and it shall be when the Lord has given us a land that we will deal kindly and truly with you. So she let them down out of the, she let them down through the window. And we read in, in verse six and 15 that their house was on a city wall. She dwelt on the wall and she said to him, get, get to the mountains. Let the pursuers go after you when they come back. And we read that the pursuers came back. They were searching everywhere and they didn't find them. The two spies get back to uh, to 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 Joshua and, and they tell him the story. And Joshua says, this is a good thing. This is a good thing. God has delivered you. And so so it's it's a good thing. You go over to chapter six. And Jericho's falling. Jericho is falling. They're, they're in the process of getting ready to destroy it. In chapter 6, and you see in 22, that, that Joshua remembers. Joshua remembers Rahab, calls for the two spies. Jericho is getting ready to fall. And, and he remembers Rahab, which is an amazing thing to me. So many things are going on. So many things are happening. Plans are being made. Jericho is slated for destruction, and he remembers Rahab. She's special to them. She's done some good things. They help evacuate Rahab and a large family. And where does she go from there? She dwells with them. And the scripture says, even to this day, which we know, she's long gone. And yet is she? So we, we, we read about Rahab in Joshua chapter 2 and Joshua chapter 6, but she shows up again. This woman, this prostitute who has, who has done this wonderful thing for the children of Israel, and she shows up again. And I say that because she shows up in Matthew chapter 1 verse 5. And it's the genealogy of Jesus through the lineage of David, and she shows up in 1.5, Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab, by Rahab, Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. By Rahab, that Rahab, the prostitute Rahab, the woman with the bad reputation because she has done bad things, that Rahab is mentioned in the genealogy of Christ because she's there. She's mentioned in Hebrews 11.31 in, in, the hall of, in the Faith Hall of Fame and and. and talks about by faith in 1131 of Hebrews, by faith the harlot Rahab. English Standard, people have argued about this. Well, she's not really a harlot necessarily. She is, maybe she's an innkeeper. Maybe she's a boarding house person because God wouldn't use a prostitute, would she? English Standard says prostitute. Greek words, P-O-R-N, P-O-R-N-E. What does that say? It doesn't say innkeeper. <laughs> she's a prostitute. She's a harlot. That's what harlot means. Hebrews 11.31, By faith the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. And James 
Likewise, just listen to it. James 2.25, talking about works and faith and faith and works. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot, the prostitute, also justified by works when she received the messengers that, that, and sent them to, uh, out another way? She was used by God. She was used in, in a wonderful way. She was used. And you can say, well, she, a prostitute, she's very used. But... In this case, God uses her to do good. And he uses her not before she cleaned herself up, not before she renounced her ways, but, but as she, he took her and used her as is. In spite of her as was, he saw as is and as could be and as would be. And he took her. And we think about us and we think about our situation. God can use that. Now, do we need to, to be perfect? Not at all. In fact, so many people throughout the, throughout the scriptures are not perfect and God uses them anyway. And he takes them as is with their faults, with their weaknesses. With, in fact, um, they, so many of them have so many weaknesses and God uses them anyway as is. Because he knows what they can be. If you would turn in your script, turn in your Bibles to uh, the book, if you can find it, it's always hard for me um, to, to find the book of Hosea. The book of Hosea. So right after Daniel, if you're singing that song in your head, if you know this Old Testament song, I don't know it, but if you're singing that, it's right after Daniel. So it's first of the minor prophets. It's not minor prophet because, because he's not as important. It's because of the material, the, the length of it. And we're going to be looking at, at a couple of chapters, well, the first three chapters. But we start out with this prophet in one, 1 through 9. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, it came to Hosea. He's a prophet. The word comes to Hosea. In verse 2, when the Lord began to speak by Hosea. So Hosea is a prophet. The Lord starts to speak by him, and the first thing that is is that Hosea gets the information. He God says, "Go get a wife." What a good thing to hear for a single man. Getting ready to start preaching. Go get a wife. Okay, go get a wife. And as you read this, it becomes very interesting. Go take yourself, verse two, a wife of harlotry. And children of a harlotry. If you've never heard that word harlot until just a while ago, you know that he's talking about a pro prostitute again. NIV says um, promiscuous. Go take for yourself a promiscuous woman as your wife. As your wife. Not just any wife, but a wife of harlotry. So he says, you're going to get married, which is a good thing, but the lady that you're going to choose, the lady that you're going to take, the woman that you're going to take is going to be from a life of harlot. And now several people, have, uh, several commentators or scholars or whatever you want to call them have decided that, that she's, she's not a bad person yet. Well, I'll explain that in a moment. But whatever the case, whatever the case, Hosea needed to, needed to recognize her as a promiscuous person. So my question as you're reading this, my question is, how did he know? <laughs> how did he know? And what was his pickup line? Excuse me. Hello, my name is Hosea. And you are, okay, are you promiscuous? Do you sleep around? Are you, 
harlot by any chance? The terrible pickup lines. So how did he know what kind of woman? I, I have a theory, and, and, and I think that she had a reputation. I, when I graduated from a town of 1,200 people in Colorado, town of 1,200 people, 22 people in my graduating class, as with any high school in this little high school, we knew who was promiscuous. We knew. How? We just knew. I mean, we, people talked about it. Maybe that's right or wrong. It's, we shouldn't be doing it, but people knew. And not just in the high school, but also in the community. You knew which adults were promiscu promiscuous, who would sleep around and have affairs. You knew. Community is so small and tight, and there aren't a lot of people, and you knew. And so I'm wondering, if that's not the case here, that, that God said, go find a promiscuous woman. It didn't take Hosea long before he found a promiscuous woman. Why? Because her reputation would have preceded her. Possibly. So it's not, it's not news, probably. That, that he, well, it's, it is news. Makes the headline, well, I, and I'm just being silly again, uh, not again, but being silly about making, making a headline. I'm not saying there's a newspaper involved. But, but he, he makes an interesting choice. And I believe that the people know about, uh, about his wife, and, he, and her name that he marries is Gomer, is Gomer. Verse 3 in Hosea chapter 1, so he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, Took Gomer. That's his wife's name. I think everyone probably knew how she was and what she was and who she was. I don't think it was difficult for Hosea to find her. So he takes her, someone who must have been known to have been promiscuous, and they get married. And she bears him a son. And, and his son has an interesting name. God, and, and God tells uh, Hosea, you will name this son this. And the name that they choose, that God tells them, Jezreel, and, and he says in verse 4, For in a little while I will avenge the bloodshed of Jezreel on the house of Jehu, and, and bring it into the kingdom. And so, so, so the name is, is indicative of, of what's going to happen. So, so she bears a son, and then after that she conceives, and she... She bears a son with Hosea. After that, she conceives a daughter, and, and her name is awful too. And then she conceives, after the daughter's weaned, we read in Scripture, she conceives another son. God named them sad names. He compares them to the children of Israel and, and other people. And he names them, and they're, they're committing adultery. And he goes on to explain that throughout, throughout the book, throughout these chapters. But chapter 2 gets, 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 gets sad and hard to read, I believe. Describes the adulterous woman that Gomer has been living in. Very descriptions of how she's been acting and living in the comparison to how Israel has been living. We read that she's chasing, chasing lovers who shower her with gifts and food and, and, and clothes. We might call them today, I don't know if you've ever heard the phrase sugar daddy. So, uh, someone who will take a woman and, and give her all kinds of gifts as long as she stays with him. And that's what, she, that's what Hosea seems to be indicating. She, she's running around. She's running around on him. 
And then things change, and, 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 and the lovers seem to be less enamored with her, and she starts, she, she, things aren't going well. And, and eventually, she finds herself in a position where she's up for sale. And you would think at that point, at that point, this woman, this wife that Gomer, that, that Hosea takes, God says, you go take a woman of harlotry. She acts like the harlot. And, and you would think at this point, she's up for sale. And, and Hosea would say, that's it. <laughs> We're done. It's finished. You dug your hole. You stay in that hole. And I'm done with you. And there's a twist in chapter 3 that people have marveled at for centuries. So she's in that situation. She's that kind. But look at chapter 3, the huge twist. Hosea says in chapter, one, uh, chapter 3, verse 1, Then the Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman who is loved by a lover. NIV says, love your wife again. Love a woman who is loved by a lover and is committing adultery, just like the love of the Lord for the children of Israel, who took to other gods and love for the raisin cakes of the pagans. Verse 2, so I bought her for my so, so he says, buy, go get her. Go get your wife. He, doesn't, he, he says, um, go again, love a woman. He doesn't, he doesn't necessarily say buy her at this point. But Hosea is obedient. Hosea, and, and he goes and he buys her. Look in, verse, uh, look in verse 2. So I bought her for myself for 15 shekels of silver and one and a half omers of barley. He buys her back. Out of slavery, possibly out of uh, prostitution, slavery. Not sure there, but he purchases his wife back to him. I bought her for myself. I bought her for myself. And, and God didn't say, and notice this. God didn't say, go get her and bring her home. What did he say? Notice ver verse 1 again. Then the Lord said to me, go again, love a woman. Take her back and love her. Take her back. And Hosea does. And he talks to her a little bit in verse 3. And I said to her, you, you shall stay with me many days. You shall not play the harlot, nor shall you have a man, so too I will be toward you. In other words, we're going home. We are going home, and you're going to be with me, but we're not going to be together yet. You're not going to be with any other man, and I won't be with you either for a while. Maybe we need time. I don't know. There, there, there needs to be a purification process. Maybe they need time to heal. Maybe they need some time just to contemplate life. I'm not sure why he's saying that, but, but they're not going to be together for a while, for a time. But the beautiful part of this story for me is that God says, Hosea, go love her. And he takes her and he loves her again, takes her back. How did he take her? He didn't say he didn't go up and before he bought her, say, OK, I'll buy you if you straighten up. He didn't. He didn't buy her as she could be. He bought her as is, as is. Yes, God commanded him to do that. Yes, and he was obedient. But man, he, he, he went above and beyond when he loved her. When he loved her. 
And you think about us. <laughs> and I, I don't know about you, but and I'm not saying that, 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 we're, that we're committing adultery with each other. I, I'm, I'm saying that we are unfaithful to God. At least I am at different times. We fall into temptation. We, we act on our temptations and we're unfaithful to God. And we turn our backs on him and we go after things that we enjoy and things that we are, are prone to do. And we turn our backs on God and he says, I want you back and I want you back as is. Because he sees, we, we, we think, well, he doesn't see how we were as was, but he does. But he sees us and he takes us as is because he knows what we could be when we're restored to the condition we need to be in. Turn over to Luke chapter 2, if you would. Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and, and, he, and he singles out Peter. And he says in, in verse uh, 31, he, he starts talking to him in verse 31. He says, Simon, Simon, that's Peter. That's another name for Peter. In verse 31 of Luke 22, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat, but I've prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you've returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And 34 says, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny me three times that you deny three times that you know me. <laughs> and so. Peter, can, you know, P Peter's not going to believe this. Why? Because Peter's the one that wants to stick by Jesus. Peter's the one that's going to that's going to try to defend him with a sword that he can't wield very well. Peter's the one that 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 is willing to walk on water just to step out. Peter's the one later on that is just going to start wading out to Jesus in in the deep water. But but Peter is the one who 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 believes in his mind. He will stick with Jesus through thick and thin. And Jesus is saying, "You will deny me three times before the rooster crows." And that's exactly what happened. Exactly what happened. Forty fifty-four of Luke twenty-two. Having arrested him, they led him and brought him into the high priest's house. But Peter followed at a distance. Why? Because he's sticking with them at a distance. Fifty-five. Now, when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. Certain servant girl, seeing him, 56, as he sat by the fire, looked intently at him and said, she's just looking intently, just staring at him. And you wonder what Peter's doing. And she's looking at him and he's, I don't know, have you ever been just stared at by someone? Um, and it gets a little uncomfortable, but she's looking intently at him. And then she says, this man was also with him. And Peter says, I, I, I do not know him. Woman, I don't know him. That happens again about an hour and a half past. And someone says, uh, confidently in 59, affirmed, saying, surely this fellow. And, and Peter says, I don't know what you're saying. The, the second time, after a little while in 58, you are also. But Peter said, man, I'm not. And he said, I don't know what you're saying. And we read another, in other, uh, other gospel accounts. He, he cursed. He got mad. He started raising his voice. But as he's denying him the third time, notice what happens. Notice what happens. The Lord... The, the rooster crows, 61 of 22. The Lord turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. And Peter, 
goes out and weeps bitterly. Jesus looks at him. I don't know if it was a look of disappointment or a look of, I told you so. But he looks at him, makes eye contact with him. How, how disheartening, how sad, how, how, how brokenhearted would that make you? I did deny him. He told me I wouldn't, and I, he told me I would. I said I wouldn't, and I did. And then you go over to John chapter 21, and P Jesus takes Peter back. He has a conversation with him. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And, and he says, then, then feed my sheep. And, and Jesus said, you'll comfort my sheep. You'll feed my sheep. He takes him back. How? Peter was still Peter. He had messed up. He had, he had, he had deserted Jesus. He had denied him three times, and he had messed up. Jesus looks at him. And, and I, Peter just crumbles. And I just have to wonder what Peter thought whenever he saw Jesus when he showed up again. And, and here Jesus is saying, I will take you as is. In spite of as was. And, he, because he, and then he told him how he would be. That you will feed my sheep. And Acts chapter and a different Peter. We, we don't find a denying Peter. We don't find a fleeing Peter. We don't find a Peter that is just off, uh, it just flies off the hand. We find in Acts chapter 2 a preaching pre Peter who is, who is boldly proclaiming the word. And he, and, he, and he lets the people know, and thousands of people from all different places in the world are there, and he lets them know boldly that they killed Jesus. Because Jesus took him as is and told him how he could be, and he, and he ended up being that guy. Because Jesus took him as is. And so we conclude by asking a question, what about us? God decided at one point, when we, when we realize that we're sinners separated from him and, and, need to be, have, and need to have something done about that, God allowed us to, he, he took us as is. We didn't have to change our, we, we needed to make a decision to change our lives, but but he took us as we were at that moment when we made the decision to put him on in Christ. He took us as is, in spite of our as was, and he restores us into what we will be and can be. Listen to 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10. 1 Peter, notice Peter, and he says, but you're a chosen generation. Wow. A royal priesthood, really, a holy nation, his own special people, chosen as is. Verse ten: Who once were, um, yeah, who who once were not a people, but are now the people of God. Who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Finally, the last section of scripture we'll look at is in Romans chapter nine. If you want to go there, Romans chapter nine. Final section of scripture. We're we're going to read it, and I'll let you get there, and go to twenty-two, verse twenty-two, if you would. And it's a what if situation. What if situation? 9, 22 through 26. What if God, wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he had prepared beforehand, even us whom he called, not of the Jews only, but of the Gentiles? What if? And notice this in 25, as he also says in Hosea, I will call them my people. Who were not my people. I'll take them as is. And her beloved who was not beloved. But I'll take them as is. And it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them. You're not my people. There they shall be called sons of the living God as is. 
Because Jesus takes us as is and he turns us into what he restores us. Oh man, that Mustang, that blue Mustang that Paul Cannon made and Steve Cannon got to drive around as his first car as a teenager, 17 years old, driving this 65 Mustang. And it wasn't that fast. The engine wasn't that powerful. But we, we learned, or he learned how to spin the tires, spin the wheels. He couldn't peel out. You couldn't just, just jam, you know, hit the gas and put it all down and the wheels peeled out. That's not the kind of engine it was. So he came up with this brilliant idea. He would put it in reverse, go in reverse and put it in drive and hit the gas and the wheels would turn. You think about that. And so sure enough, we were doing that in the parking lot of an elementary school. And sure enough, the car broke. Something happened to the engine. It turned, pipes busted, radiator fluid is going, uh, uh, antifreeze is going all over the place, and he broke the car. It turned out that the engine mounts had broken off, so, but we, we had to call his dad. We had to call his dad to come and get it, and he took it home as is. We thought the car was ruined, but Paul Cannon, who, is a, who was brilliant at restoring Mustangs, fixed it. He turned it back into what it could be. And so I end with that, and I, ask, I want you to ask yourself, man, if your life is broken, even Christians break their lives. We mess around, and, and we, we do things that we shouldn't, and we end up breaking ourselves. But why don't we ask God for help to fix us more than we do? He'll take us as is if we allow him to, because he knows what we can be. And he forgets about the as was. So you think about that as a Christian. Are you in a situation that you need where you're broken and you need to ask the Father to fix you? But if you're not a Christian, you're separated. You're broken. If you're not a Christian, if you haven't been baptized for the forgiveness of sins, you're broken. But God can fix you. And you don't have to wait until you get things right in your life. You need to, God will take you as is. Broken, problems, bad past Things you're guilty, you feel guilty about, he will take you as is. Know that, understand that, and be ready for it. So if you're not a Christian, but you understand that you're separated from God, you're broken. You understand that God will take you as is if you repent, confess him before men, and put him on in baptism, be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. He will take you as is because he doesn't care about the as was, but he's excited about the as will be. So if you're in that situation, as, a non, as someone who's not a Christian, haven't been forgiven, if you're in a situation as a Christian where you're broken and you need the Father to fix you, let us know. If you have any other needs that can be met by coming forward, let us know now as we stand and sing.